Hey folks, before we get started, just wanted to go ahead and give you a quick heads up. Had some mic issues for the first three minutes on my end. Got things figured out, uh, and then they're on going forward. A plus with the audio, so I just wanted to give you guys a heads up before we get started. So, with that being said, on to the show. What's the path to victory for the GOP and DNC top candidates? Let's discuss that today with a political consultant, so... Let's talk about that. Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. And today we're going to be taking on the role of political consultant, looking at the top candidates, both on the Democratic side of the aisle, as well as the GOP, being Joe Biden, RFK Jr., Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, and Vivek Ramaswamy. To help me do that, joining us from McShane LLC, Rory McShane, welcome to the Brian Nichols Show. Brian, great to be with you, man. Rory, thank you for joining us. Looking forward to digging into a political consultant's take today on the top five candidates. But first, do us a favor, Rory, introduce yourself here to the Brian Nichols Show audience and where you get this perspective as a political consultant. Sure, happy to do it. So I've been in the political industry for about 15 years. Um, I own uh, and I'm the principal of McShane LLC. Uh, we are t- twice now. Uh, the fastest growing political consultancy in the country is ranked by Inc. Magazine. Uh, we have uh, we, we have uh, staff uh, in uh, Nevada, Texas, Tennessee, uh, Idaho. Um, um, we, uh, we, we work on a number of congressional races, super PACs um, uh, all across the country um, and, uh, and work with some of the largest players in the uh, in the political business, multiple incumbent members of Congress. Uh, some of the largest spending Republican super PACs in the country, uh, multiple state Republican parties, uh, large police unions, and uh, and all across the gambit. So obviously have some experience both in the uh, the local state, but also that, that national conversation. So mm-hmm. glad to have you on the show as we dig into the topic for today. And that is, yes, let's take a political consultant's approach to uh, giving some advice to the top five candidates I, uh, I mapped out here for today's sure. conversation on both the left and the right. And I think for for the fun, let's start out on the left. Let's talk uh, about the top two Democratic candidates. One is incumbent uh, president, and that is Joe Biden. The other is a kind of rogue uh, startup from the the left, and that is RFK Jr. Let's start with President Biden, Rory. What would be kind of your political consultant suggestion to the Biden campaign to actually have a successful 2024, even though maybe that's not what we want to see, but what would that actually look like on your end? So truthfully, I think President Biden is doing a lot of the right things, um, you know, and and if I were advising him and the people who are advising him are clearly smart, he's obviously not going to be reelected on the strength of his can on, of his candidacy. Right. He's not going to be reelected by, uh, by a winning personality or even winning policy. So that means he's going to need to have a superior campaign operation. He's going to need to have a good data driven operation. And from what I can tell, they're building that right. They're building it to be impenetrable in the primary and impenetrable in the general election. The Democrats, the, especially the Democratic institutions have a bit of an advantage because they've smartly learned how to use C3 organizations to transfer staff between C3 organizations and political organizations. Um, 
but 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 his his success will be based on if he can achieve it operational excellency and uh and thus far he is on the path to do that um and truthfully he needs to make this election a referendum on republicans right he's not going to be able to get reelected on his own you know it's like when truman ran against the do nothing congress right uh you know his opponent was dewey he wasn't going to be able to beat dewey mm-hmm. uh, um so uh you know so so he ran against the do nothing congress it's it's kind of a similar um similar shtick here for joe biden he has to run against obstructionists and um uh uh obstructionists and january sixers and and he has to say well wasn't the country so much more divided and so much more chaotic and dramatic under president trump um and 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 while you might not like everything about me i'm not you know he needs to find a couple of issues that he can hearken to the right a little bit on because what you have to have is for for biden to be defeated you have to have the trump there's a lot of people out there who they didn't really like joe biden and they and they didn't really like so one of the most important things in politics is what's called the lesser of all evils test, right? <laughs> so when you when you poll voters who have a negative impression of both candidates, who do they break for? And in 2016, they when you polled voters who both disliked Donald Trump and disliked Hillary Clinton, they broke for Donald Trump by 16 points. Uh, in this past, in this in this most recent presidential election, when you polled voters who disliked Trump and disliked Biden, uh, they broke for they broke for Biden, right? And 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 the reason being is simple: Biden is a little is. is affable right he's you know he's maybe not mentally acute and up to the job but he's he's personable enough and and, and inoffensive enough right so if biden can continue to be this you know kind of inoffensive all around you know decently well-liked guy he has an opportunity to be successful if the operation around him is strong enough and to this point it has been interesting i like that approach too because because if you look at kind of what helped him, you mentioned get over the finish line in 2020, it was this, you know, kind of restore to, to normalcy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Joe is this nice, kind, old grandpa kind of figure, and oh. I guess right now as we're looking at things that are coming out, that's also speaking to why this Hunter Biden stuff is so damning in so many instances, because it really does put a crack in that persona, um, and yep. speaking of putting cracks in the persona, one of the folks on the left trying to do that is RFK Jr., um, he announced his candidacy not too long ago, a couple of months back, mm-hmm. and he's really doing some some good work from a, a you know upstart perspective, I think he's the last numbers I saw was he's in the 20% plus uh, polling going against the incumbent president in his own party. Rory, what would be your your advice to a, a campaign like RFK Jr.? So RFK is in a really tough spot, right? Because the because his 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 issue profile, generally speaking, meets much more with a Democrat in the late 80s or early 90s than it does a Democrat today. So, for instance, right, RFK Jr. had a lot of very legitimate and and, and very well made points and and questions about the COVID vaccine and, and his issues with that. But the overwhelming amount of Democratic voters supported the COVID vaccine, supported mandatory vaccines. If you look at a similar uh, circumstance of a of an upstart candidate being able to nearly topple an establishment candidate, you look at Bernie Sanders, right, being very close to toppling both Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton. But the issue was Bernie was running to the left. And the further out you go on the on the political spectrum, the more committed people are. So the problem with RFK is it's very it's very difficult to beat someone to beat someone who's going to have more financing and a superior organization to you. Um, uh, from from the from the center, mm. right? 
most of those voters who RFK could appeal to have long since left the Democratic Party and joined the Republican Party or their, their independence now, right? So RFK has to focus on a couple of things. He has to focus on states where, uh, where, where um, independents can vote in a, in, in a Democratic primary like Virginia. Uh, and he has to focus, I believe, because I don't think he's going to find any issues that he's significantly to the left of Biden on. He, he, and that's not his persona. He's going to have to focus on corruption. Mm. Right. It's going to have to be, you know, I am, I, I, you know, I am, I am the Democratic Party's last hope at Camelot. Right. Like um, and that and that the Biden administration is corrupt and is a betrayal of core Democratic values. Um, and, and truthfully, I think that his his ability to um, to to do that would be uh, would be the only way that he would move forward. I mean, truthfully, I'm hopeful to see a, a Trump uh, Kennedy ticket. I think that would be incredible. Uh, but I think his only way to to really make an impact on Joe Biden is to um, is to is to run a really aggressive campaign of his corruption. Yeah. And one thing I think as well that Kennedy really does bring to the table is his uh, skepticism, sometimes outright vehement uh, being against the, the vaccine conversation. Right. Um, which is definitely a stark contrast to what we see with Joe Biden. And that actually maybe goes a little bit of a foil against the next candidate we want to talk about, Donald Trump, because one of Trump's uh, highlights of his presidency that he likes to tout is Operation Warp Speed. So ironically enough, um, so let's kind of go now to the other side of the aisle. Let's talk about Donald Trump. And uh, what do you think is the best path forward for Trump if you were to have electoral success here in 2024? So Trump has a massive lead in the primary right now. Um, I think that the issue is there's a lot of money that Trump's going to need in the general election that is currently sitting in the DeSantis camp, a little bit sitting in the Tim Scott camp. Um, I don't know how much of it's in the Vivek camp, but um, but but he's going to I, you know, I really think, you know, he needs to he needs to tone down the attacks on primary opponents. You know, I mean, he's 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 doing well enough where I don't see any of these numbers really moving. And I understand that that success, that strategy was successful for him in 2016. Um but the money that is sitting behind those candidates right now, he's going to need that money in the general. I think the voters are going to be there for him either way. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Trump guy. I, I, I like and support President Trump. Um, you know, and the other the other issue is going to be operation, right? The people behind Ron DeSantis, Jeff Rowe and his group are brilliant operational tacticians, right? They built, built a brilliant operation in Iowa in the last cycle, and, and that's going to be supercharged in this election cycle, right? They, they're spending tens of millions of dollars training door knockers in Iowa, recruiting caucus attendees. Remember, Jeff Rowe was also behind Glenn Youngkin's uh, convention victory, caucus victory in Virginia. Right. And the strategy they use there, I'm sure will be very similar to strategy they use in Iowa. So so you can't underestimate, especially in these caucus states where organization trumps popularity. A lot of times you can't you can't underestimate the importance of of, of operational excellence. And that's that's always something Trump campaigns have have, have you know, they've had a lot of they have lots of staff changes and stuff like that. Um uh, Donald Trump has the personality down, right? The, the average Republican voter believes that he's fighting for them. He's going to need the operational excellence to, you know, hopefully defeat DeSantis in um, in, in 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 Iowa, in Nevada, in 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 the, in the organizationally focused states. 
Well, and let's kind of talk about the organization standpoint, because that's one thing maybe the next candidate we want to talk about has been known for, and that is Ron DeSantis doing a really mm-hmm. good job getting his team really yep. you know, built up strong. Um, now, there's obviously been some some hiccups here of the past few months. Uh, poll numbers really have taken a nosedive, and it seems from a team standpoint, that might be some of the areas we're having red flags there. So what would you do from a consultant standpoint to help get the DeSantis campaign back on course? I don't think there's anything that DeSantis is, they tried attacking Trump and that didn't work. And then look, here's the thing. The only, you know, you look at the, the only way to defeat Donald Trump is the way they beat Steve King in Iowa, right? Is where the way Randy Feenster defeated Steve King in Iowa. You cannot attack Donald Trump. The more you attack Donald Trump, the smarter he, or sorry, the, the, the more hardened his supporters become. When he said he could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and he wouldn't lose a single supporter, he wasn't lying. The only, you know, so if you look at the way they defeated Steve King, right, the average Western Iowan um, fully believed that Steve King had their back. Steve King advocated for the issues that they cared about, that Steve King was their guy. But but Randy, so Randy Feenster never attacked Steve King as being insufficiently conservative or a bad person. He said, hey, we all love Steve King, but he's no longer effective. It's the grandpa attack, right? Everybody thanks grandpa for his service in World War II, but nobody wants to give grandpa their car keys, right? And that is that is the and it's and it's a very difficult position to be in. I don't and I don't envy Roe and his team at all for having to do this. It's it's the position where they have to paint Donald Trump as the elder statesman of the party, but not the guy you want in a starting position, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want Terry, if you're a Steelers fan, you might love Terry Bradshaw, but you don't think he should be on the starting lineup this season. <laughs> That's a great analogy. Uh, and I say that my my dad and my uncle were, were Cowboys and Steelers fan respectively in the 70s. So uh, Terry Bradshaw, Roger Staubach rivalry uh, for there for sure. I was gonna- so similarly, if you're a Cowboys fan, you know, I live down, I'm not a Cowboys fan, but I live down in Texas. There's a ton of Cowboys fans here and they all love Roger Staubach, but they don't want him in at quarterback this season. Yeah, no, wouldn't go too well, probably physically for him either. Uh, but let's talk about the next candidate. Let's, and that's actually going to go on the opposite side of the conversation, going towards the youth, the youngest candidate uh, thus far who was announced. And uh, that is one uh, billionaire tech mogul, Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, he's really kind of taken the GOP primaries by, I want to say storm, but maybe by surprise. He's been doing really sure. well on independent media, podcasts specifically, yeah. going out, having conversations, actually going out and engaging with some sometimes more aggressive and and more left-leaning media and having some really good success. He's kind of doing the best of what Trump does, the best of uh, Ron DeSantis does, but he's doing so through the the perspective of youth. So what are your thoughts there on the kind of surprising success we've seen thus far of Vivek Ramaswamy? And do you see any path for a 2024 uh, success for him? I don't, but I see a lot of path for a 2028 success, right? Mm. And and a lot of credit to the to the team behind his campaign, Ben Yoho and those guys, real smart guys, all, you know, friends of mine. Um, they they've done an incredible job, and you and, and they've done exactly what you said they were going to do. He knew that he wasn't in a place where he was going to be able to afford the most Fox News airtime or have the most coveted interviews. So he's went on podcasts and he's challenged conceptions and he's challenged norms and stuff like that. But I think what he's but I but I would I would bet dollars to donuts that what he's trying to do is he's trying to make himself 
a consensus nominee in 2028, right? Which means he can't attack Donald. I mean, if you look, you know, when Trump was indicted, he was the first one to come out and defend Trump. Um, and, and, and in doing so, endearing himself to a lot of people in the MAGA movement, I'd consider myself part of the MAGA movement, um, endearing himself to a lot of people in the MAGA movement, endearing himself to a lot of Trump loyalists. I think he understands that, you know, this is, you know, when you have a billion dollars, you have a lot of runway. And I think he understands that there's, that there's a lot of runway to be had. Um, and I think he's resonating conservative ideas. So after Donald Trump is off the stage, I actually think he is the, I think that Trump supporters will be more inclined to migrate to supporting him in the next cycle than they will, uh, to, than, than they will to uh, Ron DeSantis or Tim Scott or something like that. It feels like it would be a better future for the GOP, frankly, too, because it seems like the era of the the Bush, the Cheneys, the Romneys, the McCains, just that that's that's over, right? It, it's it's time to move forward, and this could be a really interesting face for the GOP because traditionally, what's been one of the biggest uh, you know the the biggest thorns in the side of the GOP? Oh, it's an old white dudes party. Uh, to have someone like Vivek Ramaswamy as the face of the party, a millennial who is of I think believe I believe he's Indian descent. I mean. What where where do the arguments go from there, right? Like you you can no longer have that as the thorn in the side, and also going forward, it I think would also inspire a lot of different potential uh, voters to the GOP, which would open the floodgates. Now, let me ask you this: as we go towards the tail end of the conversation here, Rory, where do you kind of see things actually lining up? We've gone through five candidates today. Obviously, uh, Biden versus RFK on the Democratic side, on the right, uh, really right now the top three: Trump, DeSantis, and. Uh, Vivek, where, who, I guess, where do you see these primaries uh, shaping up and then ultimately coming to 2024? Kind of what's your gut telling you at this point as we look at the ultimate showdown in uh, November there? So a great question. I, I think I think at, at this point it's almost fiat accompli. Joe Biden will be the Democratic nominee. Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee. In all of the primary states, Donald Trump has a 30-point lead. I think the lowest lead he's got is in the high 20s right now. Some states he's got a 40-point lead. You know, I mean, it reminds me of that. Um, it reminds me of that moment where, uh, you know, where, where uh where Donald Trump and Jeb Bush were arguing on stage in 2016 and Donald Trump said, well, I'm at 40 and you're at two. So whatever I'm doing is working. Um, and I, and, and Joe Biden will be the democratic nominee. I mean, even if RFK is able to catch lightning in a bottle, you have to remember the democratic super delegate structure, right? The, the Democrats have a lot of their delegate allotment to, it, it allotted in super delegates. Um, so I, I think it's almost impossible that, uh, that that Joe Biden will not be the Democratic nominee. And I will say this, the Trump campaign is going to have to, you know, they're going to have to do something very new. Or I won't say very new, but something that, that, that they weren't able to make a forefront in the last campaign, which they need to do now. They may need to make it clear that the Biden family is a corrupt crime family, right? Whether or not you agree with the policies of Donald Trump, you have members of the Biden family taking multi-million dollar payouts from Ukrainian interests, from Chinese interests, from, from the Chinese Communist Party connections, people who are the enemies of America. Um, and that, I believe, needs to be the forefront of the campaign. I think, I think if, you, if people voted against Hillary Clinton, as much as they voted for Donald Trump. And they and, and those people, the people who were in the lesser of all evils group, the people with a negative opinion of both candidates, they did that. They voted against Hillary Clinton because they said, well, I might not like this Trump guy, but you know what? He's for real. And he's not corrupt. And he's not part of this deal. He's not part of the swamp. And, and Joe Biden was able to kind of frame the conversation as, hey, you might not like me, but I'm a normal guy. That guy over there is Looney Tunes, right? Um, 
He needs to bring it back to even for the people who don't like Trump, they don't want to see a corrupt White House. They don't want to see a White House where people are smoking crack and and given, you know, multi-million dollar, you know, paychecks to their kids um, and, and, and basically rebuild that narrative of 2016, which is, hey, I might not be your first choice, but I'm not corrupt. I'm not in the swamp. I'm not making a dollar on this. Rory, as we go towards the end of the episode, I wanted to kind of use the, the tail end here to maybe be more of a, a workshop, right? For a lot of the folks who listen to our show, they're either running for local office, for state office, uh, both the libertarians, but also the Republicans out there. So, you know, there, there's usually, I, I get tons of emails from folks asking for kind of help on specific campaign sure. issues. And I think one of the, the overarching themes I hear of a problem campaigns find is finding their voice. What do you recommend to a campaign as they're going out and trying trying to, to establish that campaign narrative? What's the best way to figure out what are the most important issues your voters care about and how can you make sure your campaign or your campaign is reflecting that messaging and that narrative? So, so actually, one is a great question, but two, not entirely an accurate one, because here's the thing. Any poll in America, if you say what issue is most important to you, <coughs> every voter is going to say economy, education, healthcare, economy, education, healthcare, from the beginning of time through ever, right? And those aren't wedge issues. Those aren't issues that divide you from your opponent. So you can come and say, well, I'm going to help spur the economy by doing you know, by cutting taxes 2% and your opponent can then say, well, I'm going to spur the economy by adding more jobs programs, right? But those both sound like plausible and reasonable solutions. What you have to find are wedge issues, issues that divide you and your opponent. Every successful campaign, at least that I've ever studied, has three easily identifiable solutions, right? It has a problem, a hero, and a villain. A problem, a hero, and a villain. So George Bush 2004, what's the problem? The world is unsafe. Who's the villain? Easy. That's Osama bin Laden. Who's the hero? The cowboy from Texas, George W. Bush. Look at um, look at Barack Obama 08, right? It was very different. McCain wasn't the villain in this campaign, right? The problem was is that, you know, Washington is a mess. It's all these people who've been there. Politics is the same as usual. It's this insider deal, right? Um uh, who's the villain? Uh, the villain was just this kind of shadowy swamp, white, rich, white guys, country clubbers. Who's the hero? Barack Obama's going to change it. Right. Um, you know, so I've seen, you know, so, 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 so every successful identifiable camp, every successful campaign, in my opinion, has those three clearly identifiable elements. What's the problem? Who's the hero? And who's the villain? Right. Sometimes the villain's your opponent. Sometimes it isn't. Interesting. Interesting, Rory. Uh, this has been a really great conversation. Um, and I definitely think, you know, the, the audience today, they got a lot of value, not only kind of taking things from different contexts of behind the eyes of really each individual candidate and what's their best path for success, but also, you know, how we can uh, apply some of these uh, these ideas we talk about every single day to actual people running for office and having electoral success, which at the end of the day is important. Uh, talking about this stuff is important, but uh, winning elections and actually dictating policy. Yeah, that's kind of important as well. But uh, with that being said, Rory, do us a favor as we wrap things up where can folks go ahead uh find you support your your work over at mcshane llc and if they want to go ahead and reach out to you where can they go ahead and do that sure uh, anyone's welcome to go to our website mcshanellc.com can email me rory r-o-r-y at mcshanellc.com uh always always encourage folks to reach out to us i do everything i can to be helpful to uh to people whether they hire us or not just want to pick our brains and, and stuff like that 
Awesome. All right, Rory. Well, we will go ahead and include all that in the show notes. And by the way, folks, if you enjoyed today's episode, you know the drill. Go ahead and give it a share. When you do, please tag yours truly at B Nichols Liberty. By the way, if you are joining us here on YouTube, well, thank you. Number one, go ahead, give us a like and a subscribe, and also hit that notification bell so you don't miss a single time we go live. But also, we have other uh, platforms we are on to support independent, uh, independent media like Rumble, but also Ben Swan's Sovereign SOV. R-E-N, in which, by the way, if you are watching us over on Sovereign World, thank you for watching. Today, you are seeing us before anybody else, and that is a Sovereign exclusive. And also, we are a podcast, so if you want to go ahead and subscribe to The Brian Nichols Show on your favorite podcast catcher, whether that's YouTube Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or something else out there, uh, just do me a favor. When you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, also downplay or downplay, download all unplayed episodes, uh, starting from episode one all the way to episode 745, and with all those different episodes, I, I promise you, we have amazing guests like Rory here on the show uh, who will leave you educated, enlightened, and informed. And of course, one last thing, today's episode is brought to you by our awesome friends over at Proud Libertarian. We have our Brian Nichols Show shop over there, which you can go ahead and grab your Michael Scott 2024 shirt, which I am rocking today here on the show. Uh, link will be in the show notes. So do me a favor if you want to go ahead and support the program. Also, go ahead, use code TBNS. 15% off your order over at Proud Libertarian. But that's all we have for you today. Thank you for joining us, folks. And with that being said, Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Rory McShane. We'll see you next time. Great to see you, Brian. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.